Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. We are in our final week of the sermon series called Words to Live By. And over the course of the last four weeks, we've, we've picked out a few Bible verses that have those Christian mottos, I suppose we could say, for our lives. Maybe it goes without saying, but, but my prayer is that you recognize these aren't the only four verses in the Bible that are good for Christian mottos or words to live by, but that as you continue to look through your Bible, hear different things about God's Word, that you find those different verses that, that speak to you, words of comfort and encouragement and purpose for your life. Today, we'll see Jesus' own words, all things are possible. I don't know if any of you spend any amount of time during the week Googling different things, but this week I Googled things that people think are impossible. Okay, are you ready? Here's the list that I came up with. According to people, it is impossible to lick your own elbow. I don't think it's completely impossible, but I think most people can't do it. Had a young man, little boy, three years old today, came out of church after early service and he showed me he could lick his elbow. So it's possible. Any elbow lickers out there, people who can do it? You can try if you want. I won't stop you, all right? How about the next one in the upper right? Supposedly, it's nearly impossible to sneeze with your eyes open. Maybe some of you think you can do that. Sneeze with your eyes open. I'm not sure. Bottom left, I think it's impossible to run a sub-three-minute mile. Not just for me, but for everyone. I think the world record is somewhere around 343, I think, is the world record for a mile. And think about that. Uh, the, the world record for running a 400 meter, so one quarter of a mile is about 43 seconds. You would have to run 43 second 400s four in a row sprinting to get a sub three mile. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. And then, of course, on the list was my favorite. Why anybody ever thought of this, I have no idea. You cannot teach your goldfish to play the clarinet. That was actually on Google. So I, I think we've got to come up with a list of all kinds of things that aren't possible according to that, that, that kind of criteria. But here, as I looked at those four things, in the end, I had to finally ask myself this question, who cares? Who cares if you can lick your elbow or sneeze with your eyes open or even teach your goldfish to play the clarinet? In the end, none of that really matters too much. But in our text today, the disciples identify something in Jesus' words that make them think it's impossible to be saved. See, this is a life or death, not just life or death in this world, but eternal life or death question that is being asked by the disciples. And it really gives us meaning to Jesus' words when he says this, our words to live by for today. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. As we think about these words a little bit today, uh, let's do it under this theme. All things are possible. And, and as we think about that, I want you, first of all, to hear this warning from Jesus. Don't overestimate yourself. But right alongside of that, Jesus provides this encouragement. Don't underestimate God. 
I know we read it a little bit ago, but let's review just a little bit what happened leading up to Jesus' statement. Uh, a man comes to ask Jesus a question, and, and this account is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. And from those other Gospels, we find out that he's a young man, and like it says later in this text too, that he has riches. He's a wealthy man. And his question is simply this, what must I do to be saved? You understand where the question is coming from, and I think you can even see it. This man wants some assurances. He thinks he's lived a pretty good life. He's done enough on his own. He thinks that he's close, but there's still some discomfort, some disquiet in his heart and in his life. He's not quite sure he's made it. And so he comes to Jesus with the question, what's left? What else can I do? And Jesus directs him to the commandments. Specifically, the commandments in the second table of God's law, those commandments that have to do with our relationship with each other, our neighbor. He says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. And the answer is kind of amazing, isn't it? Without any kind of apology, without really any kind of not believing that it was true, the young man says, I've done that. As Jesus was reciting the commandments, you can almost see the young man, check, check, yep, done that one, that one's good. And Jesus doesn't call him out on it. Isn't that kind of interesting? Jesus could have, couldn't he have said, well, do you remember that time a couple years ago when this happened or just last month when that happened? He doesn't do that. Instead, I love these words from Mark chapter 10. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Because what comes next comes from that love of Jesus. He tells him that one thing that he lacks. One thing you lack, Jesus says. Take everything that you have, sell it, give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. I know there's a little temptation to think that that's what God calls on us to do, to give up everything that we have. That's not Jesus' point. Remember, he looked at the man and loved him. What he's trying to get at is this young man's self-reliance. He's trying to make him realize that trusting in himself to get to eternal life isn't going to work. But the man goes away sad. He didn't consider eternal riches Riches in heaven that Jesus was promising better than the wealth that he had in this life. It leads Jesus to say to his disciples how difficult, how difficult it is for someone to enter the kingdom of God. And yes, he's talking about people who are rich, at least initially, but I don't think that describes the disciples. And you remember their question? We'll get to it in a little bit. Well, then who could, they included themselves and we can include ourselves, too. I think about that when I think about the car trips that I've taken with my children. Those are not my children, by the way. It was the best picture I could find. But I'm wondering, students who are here, if you can remember those rides in the car and things that you said from the back seat to your parents or, or parents and grandparents in here, what are the things that you've heard from the back seat that you just kind of dread? I'll give you my quick list. I have to go to the bathroom. I mean, with three kids, somehow they figured out a way on any trip that was over a couple of hours to space those out so we had to stop two or three times because they couldn't wait to get to the destination. 
maybe almost as bad as that was, I don't feel very good. Because that was a pullover time too, in case they got sick, right? But the one that still today probably can get under my skin a little bit is just the simple question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Sometimes we had barely gotten out of the driveway when the first child asked, are we there yet, right? And, and, and I think about that because that's exactly what the young man was asking Jesus. Am I there yet? And just like I had to tell my kids, no, it's going to be a little while yet, Jesus is telling this young man, you're not. You can't get there on your own. He's trying to redirect him to see where salvation is truly found. When the disciples hear what Jesus has to say, how hard it is, they're amazed. And then Jesus takes it one step further. He says this, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. People have written lots of things trying to explain what Jesus was talking about, a camel through the eye of a needle. But this is simply hyperbole. We use hyperbole. We say things like, when pigs fly, or finding a needle in a haystack, or something like that. That's what Jesus is saying. This, humanly speaking, is not a possibility. And when he uses those words, the original Greek for the disciples' reaction is kind of amazing. Literally, they were knocked off their feet by what Jesus said. It almost seems as if they're looking at this man in front of Jesus and saying, he's good. He's a good person. He seems to be doing everything right. And if not him, then how can we ever be saved? And that was their question. Who then can be saved? See, what Jesus is trying to do, and that's why I love those words, he looked at him and loved him. What, what Jesus is trying to do is take people's attention away from self. Because if we think we can make it on our own, if we think there's somehow we can live up to God's standard, be holy as I, the Lord, your God, am holy, we will only fall short. And yet that's exactly what this young man was trying to do. He didn't recognize that it was not possible for him to make it to heaven by what he did. So Jesus wanted him to see that impossibility. Here's what makes the Bible's message so challenging sometimes. It takes humility. It takes humility to understand and appreciate the message of salvation in Jesus. And maybe that's particularly difficult in our American culture. We are all about independence. Living life in terms of ourselves. I can do it. I can put, pull myself up by the bootstraps. I can make something out of my life. And then when it comes to the message of the Bible, we can't. And to humble ourselves and say, this won't happen unless somebody else acts. It's hopeless. We don't want to feel like we're somehow left on the outside with no way to get to eternal life. But while Jesus wants us to see that we should not overestimate ourselves, that no one can get to heaven by what they do, he doesn't want to leave us without hope. I've been watching a show with my wife at home called Alone. Any, any Alone fans out there? 
Okay, alone is this, they drop people in the wilderness of Canada and they have to live on their own and live off the land for as long as they possibly can. I think the record, I don't know what season they're in, eight or nine, I think it's 102 days. They drop them off in the fall and they have to live through the winter. I would never. But just in case there are people out there that think it's possible, this is what is at the start of every episode. Warning, don't try this at home. These are trained people who know what they're doing. They know how to live off the land. And I think how many times in my life I've seen that. You know, I can go all the way back to my evil Knievel days. For those of you who are old like I am, the guy that would jump his motorcycle over buses. And they would always say things like, don't, don't try that at home. Or people today who leap off the third story into a swimming pool. Yeah, you don't want to try that at home either. But isn't there always a part of us? Like even when I said, can you lick your elbow or can you sneeze without blinking? You kind of want to try, don't you? Just to see if you can prove people wrong. And it's like that when it comes to God's word too. We, we know what God says, but, but there's that part of us that always wants to prove, maybe I can. And Jesus' warning to us today is simply this. Don't try it. You can't. And even better, you don't have to because Jesus already did it for you. Doesn't that make these words of Jesus all the more meaningful when he says, with man this is impossible, but not with God? All things are possible with God? We aren't hopeless. No, we can't do it ourselves, but Jesus didn't leave us alone. He didn't say, sorry, figure something else out. Instead, he fills the disciples and us with hope. Because your rescue... Your salvation and mine isn't in my hands or your hands, but in the nail-marked hands of Jesus. The hands of Jesus that were willing to go to a cross for you with all the rest of him to suffer punishment for sin and then to rise from the dead to guarantee that you're his child and an heir of eternal life. You see, we don't ever want to underestimate God because he did what seems impossible. He made the impossible possible by sending Jesus to take our place. It's Jesus who gives us the reason to simply put our lives in his hands, to see it from his point of view, to be humbled and know that it's only through Jesus that we get to eternal life. But it gets better. Jesus did this big thing for us, the thing that's impossible. He saved us from our sins. But in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says this, If God didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Did you hear that? Isn't that amazing? That God is watching everything else in your life too, and nothing is impossible for him in your life? I know for students, it's midterms coming up really quickly if they haven't already come. And it means tests and assignments and other things. And maybe sometimes you feel overwhelmed and think, I don't know how I'm ever going to get all through all of this. All things are possible with God. Maybe it's your job that isn't going very well or, or maybe you're worried that it's going to be taken away or maybe it's a health concern that you have, some chronic pain that you're dealing with. Maybe your marriage or a relationship is on some difficult soil right now. All things are possible with God. 
The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in Jesus Christ now and forever. That's the God you serve. That's the God who's interested in every aspect of your life. All else in your life also falls under that statement of Jesus that all things are possible. Yes, as Jesus is at work in your life, you can trust first and foremost that you've been rescued from sin and are an heir of eternal life. And then that he cares to make sure the rest of your life will serve your eternal good. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, we naturally overestimate our own ability to please God. King Solomon wrote it this way in Proverbs chapter 14. He said, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's what Jesus was trying to show this young man too, that his idea that somehow he could save himself was only going to end up in a bad place. So number two, since salvation is impossible for us, we need God to act, and that's exactly what he did. In Romans 5, Paul wrote, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Finally, number three, God has made eternal life a reality for us through Jesus. The Apostle John wrote in the fifth chapter of his first epistle, this is our testimony. God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son, Jesus. I suppose we could, we could boil down this little section of scripture from Mark chapter 10 into a pr presentation of two plans of salvation. Plan A was the plan that this rich young man thought that he could accomplish. Plan A was the merit plan. How, how do I get to heaven by what I do? And Jesus demonstrates to us that overestimating our own ability is never a good thing because saving ourselves is not possible. But Jesus doesn't leave us without a second plan. He gives us God's plan, plan B, the plan that means... Jesus has done it all. Jesus already came and took away your sins on the cross. He rose from the dead to guarantee you will live with him forever. And he's with you at work in your life right now. As you confess with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yes, all things are possible with God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.